Hey ladies, I wanted to share a suite of masterclasses I have available. If you're doing some healing and self-work this summer, need help with regulating and processing your emotions, my Moods and Feels class on June 11th has your name on it. Need some support with boosting your self-esteem? Then nurturing my self-esteem is all for you on June 25th. Then in July, we're going to cover female archetypes on July 19th, if you're working on your femininity. And last but not least, let's start designing your dating plans together on July 16th. You can find all my offerings at matchmerrymate.com. See you in class. listening to the Match Mary May podcast where black women learn how to get their love lives together. Here I guide you on your dating and relationship journey, empower you with feminine presence, power, and charm, teach you how to navigate and negotiate your needs and desires with men. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and welcome. This week, we have a special guest, lovebugs. My husband, Jeremiah. Welcome, sir. Thank you for the welcome, Queen, and hello, Match Mary Mate crew. Okay, so are you ready to enter the dating and relationship space with me? Well, I've been doing it already for some time, so <laughs> just another great day. Fair, fair. Okay, audience, so Jeremiah and I talk about Love, marriage, and family all the time, particularly in the Black community. And so recently, I brought an article to his attention, and I wanted to hear his thoughts. So as an introduction of us to the Match Mary May audience, we've titled this episode, We Are Joyce and Jeremiah. But the conversation is about how Black people move toward the, the path of marriage and family or not. And so I love hearing his opinion. I value his solutions-oriented approach, at least most of the time. And he often brings a level of insight and data even that I did not know about before. And so because our insights and ideas usually extend beyond us, I wanted to have Jeremiah on the show today so you all can hear how we work together as a married couple to discuss complex issues and compliment, sometimes challenge each other with the female and male view, and ultimately work together as one unit. But first, let's begin with the power of affirmation. We start every episode with an affirmation as a way to center self, listen to the body, and honor our spirit. Ask yourself, how are you today? what moods, feelings, or emotions come up. Since this is a couples episode, we're sharing our personal affirmation with you together today. We are independent. We are unified. We We are are married. Let's begin today's story. So let me set the scene for you all and cue you in on how this came about. So our natural approach is what I like to call some complementation of female reality integrated with male response. 
So that's not to say that Jeremiah doesn't bring an issue or a topic, obviously, up for conversation. But usually when we're talking about things in the dating and relationship space, I'm the one saying, hey, did you know Black women, whatever it could be? And I would love to hear how you as a Black man respond to that. I really enjoy these conversations because uh, while sometimes it's a topic that I might have known or heard of before, uh, many times it's something new that I haven't thought of. Uh, and it requires me to challenge my assumptions or maybe challenge yours. So uh, it's a natural cadence. We don't do it purposefully that way, but I always feel like it's a a fun conversation when we have them. Yeah, me too. So thanks for being here today. I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me today, taking our conversation uh, more public and introducing yourself to our audience. Just make sure that check hits tomorrow, okay? (laughs) Sure, babe, I got you. (laughs) I need my appearance fee. (laughs) Y'all hear this, ladies? Men are always thinking about money. Always. 100%. (laughs) Okay, so again, to, to set it up for you, I leaned on an article that is titled Black Women's Ambivalence About Marriage. And this is um, a qualitative research study from 2012, I believe. So it could stand a little bit of an update, but I did research some more recent numbers and not much has changed in the decade or so from the time of the article till today. So I wanted to be transparent and give you that. So I started with this um, because I'm earning my PhD and I'm looking at trends and relationships with education and our social and economic advantage that education gives us and how that plays out in the Black community when we go to the dating market and we're looking for for partners or co-parents or spouses, some of that, all of that, everybody has their thing, you know, what that looks like. And so I like how this article sets up some of the issues and I like how they expose it too, in a sense. So I brought that to Jeremiah. In the nature of our approach, I would say me bringing up the conversation and kind of introducing the article is like female reality, right? Because the article is about the attitudes and beliefs and somewhat the realities of um, Black women. And again, wanted to discuss it with the Match Mary May audience and just offer possible insights, potential solutions for the state of marriage and family in the Black community. So without further ado, let's dive in. Small disclaimer here, I look at issues and I think of ways to um, create solves, fixes, or sometimes just soothe a social ill in a relationship, in a classroom sometimes, in a family, right? So we're talking very micro level. That's where my expertise are. I do not claim to understand complex issues on a macro level. 
And so I just wanna be clear about that before we have this conversation. I am definitely your small unit person, but I remember sharing that with Jeremiah too, by saying, hey, this is gonna be a micro level conversation. And the reason that I feel that way is because macro level conversations and macro level solutions, even possible or potential ones, require that the expert, not saying that I am, but let's just go with it for now, requires that the expert has so much history, so much data, demographics, you know, just a host of information in a historical way across time. And there are some issues that I do have that body of knowledge, but not to the degree that I believe an expert needs to have on the macro level. So just a small disclaimer that this is a micro conversation. Jeremiah, is there anything you wanted to add with that? Yeah, I would say that there's value in the micro conversations, though. Um, you know, oftentimes people that take a bird's eye view can see expansively, and that's important, and can see trends. Um, but until you apply some learning at that level to real life situations, you never really see the blind spots or how it could work in every situation. And so I do think there's value to bring it down to, you know, the practical day-to-day -day, real people lives level. Um, so I think there's value in what we're doing, even if it's not the macro expertise that you're talking about. Okay, perfect. I'm glad you, I'm glad you find value in what I'm doing. Listen, if you are a match Mary made client, y'all know the difference between respect and value and how much you should be looking for a man valuing who you are, your opinions, your contributions, and what you do. So just put in another little pin in your cap there. Now, this article may sound familiar to you. I have already referenced it in an earlier episode of this season. But let me set it up for you more holistically for this conversation. And I'm going to do so by reading the abstract. The authors examine singlehood about heterosexual Black women in the United States. The decline in marriage rates is most prevalent in the U.S. Black community. The evolution of marriage from being an institution associated with familialism to individual growth and personal fulfillment means groups that value familialism may experience a tension between individual pursuits and the collective good. Nuts and Martin's 1996 reframed concept of differentiation was utilized in this study to better understand how single Black women manage the tension between individuality and togetherness. Findings from in-depth interviews of five Black women demonstrate how gendered power imbalance contributes at the ambivalence about marriage. These results extend the literature on Black families in the United States and can better inform clinical practice. And that brings me to our legal disclaimer here. The purpose of my work is to assist Black women in making changes in their lives and love lives through supportive guidance and mentorship. I am not a licensed therapist, psychologist, doctor, or other healthcare professional. 
None of my work is clinical, and I am a dating and relationship coach and mentor, and my work is educational and relational. Now, usually, my conversations here on the Match Mary Made podcast are designed for Black women listeners. But today, we're doing something a little bit different. Jeremiah and I are having a conversation that we are opening up in a way that fits both Black male and Black female listeners. But you know, this is still the Match Mary Made space where we center Black women. So even though we invite our male listeners to join the conversation, comment, rate, let us know your opinion, this conversation that you're getting ready to listen to will still center and uphold the Black woman, because that's what we do here. And so without further ado, welcome to Jeremiah and I's conversation. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so let's get started. There are four main issues that Beryl Gomez and Baptiste, the authors of the article, um, discussed. And so I'm going to list them out right now, and then we will tackle them. So the first issue is the disparities in education and economic status between Black women and Black men. The second, the increased interracial marriages by Black men. Third, how challenging it can be for highly educated Black women to find suitable same race mates. And I remember thinking, what is highly educated? Is that a you know, what What level of education is that? But whatever highly means, apparently there's some challenge there. And then four, the attitudes and beliefs of Black women may further contribute to um, the decline of marriage rates that we are seeing. And I flagged that too, because I'm like, hmm, what attitudes and beliefs do Black women have that are further creating disparity within the disparity, so to speak. Um, And then within the attitudes and beliefs, there were three things I really wanted to tackle and I'll just let that organically come up as we converse. So Jeremiah, I would love to hear just your initial take on the article, kind of high level, what you thought about it, what your opinions are. Well, babe, um, I would say it largely rang true uh, when I read about what the authors had to say in their research in regards to these five black women and their uh, experience with marriage, singlehood, um, current posture towards marriage. It all felt consistent with what I have heard from um, female friends female relatives uh, that are in, you know, similar uh, states as the women in the article. So largely rang true. Um, It definitely got my mind running around topics I often think about around how Black men are showing up and where we can uh, do better, but also topics on uh, parts of the conversation, I think maybe weren't in the scope of 
this research specifically, but starts to go down the path of like solutions. You know, I'm a solutions guy and I like to think about like, how do we fix this type of issue? Um, so it also got me thinking there, but at a high level, it felt consistent with a lot of things that I've personally observed through, um, you know, people that I know. Yeah, it felt pretty consistent for me too. And so even though I was looking at some 2012, 2011 data, I went to go look at those same institutions or research groups to see if things had been updated and, and had and not too much difference, as I mentioned before. And it, it rings true with what I experience when I am initially onboarding a woman into my coaching practice. So I still think it's very relevant. Total aside as well, I was very surprised that the two authors of this particular report were not black that was me like too. so random I'm like huh me too but a, a reason for that is the quote-unquote decline of african-american marriage affects everyone and so there's a there's an incentive for someone studying the issue caring about the issue or at least trying to figure it out come to some type of resolve there's incentive for someone to do that, even if they are are not black. So there's that. Um, Indeed. Okay, so the first the first thing is this disparity in education and economic status between black women and black men. I know as a black woman, I was taught to go to school, go to college, get your degree, and be able to take care of yourself, right? And I know that messaging is very consistent with a lot of American Black women. Now, I have to just give my mom a little praise here because she never, like, over-indexed on hyper-independence. She always told me, listen, you're probably going to be living in one of three realities, I'm going to prepare you for either three of them. So you will know what to do in either one, right? So I never had the messaging of, you got to be independent. You got to take care of yourself. Don't ever rely on a man, you know, to do this or to do that. So that wasn't my social conditioning as a girl or even, you know, going into adulthood. But it was there to go to school, get your degree, be able to, manage yourself, right? Be a functioning adult. And I realized a lot of Black women, that's a little bit more hyper than what I experienced, but we did that, right? We went to school, we got the degrees, we have the accolades, what have you. And I'm not sure if Black men are getting the same messaging. What are Black parents, usually Black moms, but let's just say Black parents, what are they saying to their Black sons in terms of how they should be educated, how they should take care of self, and the, the independence that they should have to be able to contribute, yes, to society, but later to um, a relationship or a family of some kind? I know what the message was for me, but I'm thinking about those around me and trying to get a sense for where I would want to take it. So the message definitely was 
to get a good education. I don't think my mother or Black women like her push that message differently between men and women or boys and girls when they're children. I do think it might be for different reasons, though. I will say it was never encouraged to me to get a good education so that I could take care of a wife or show up for a wife or not need anyone. It it wasn't postured like that. It was just like, this is what you need to do to be a successful human being. Um, And so I don't think it was attached to the idea of not needing someone else. I would say, though, for for some other folks, you know, the message was more like you need to get a good education because don't think you staying here (laughs) beyond a certain age. (laughs) Like you ain't sitting on my couch all day. Right. And so I also think that men, while it's not attached to any particular person outside of them, which may be good or bad, uh, there has pros and cons to that. Uh, sometimes that message of, cause you ain't sitting around here. Mm, is that the most motivating thing? Probably not, uh, compared to not being dependent. Now that, that, that not being dependent on someone is rooted in the base emotion of like fear. And so fear oftentimes is a greater motivator than simply just telling me, you ain't staying here after a certain age. It's just like, all right, I'll stay somewhere else, right? So I think there's a motive, a deeper motivating factor in how messages are, are portrayed. But for men, the small sample size of circle childhood friends that I can think of, it was largely get a good education because that's what successful people do. Um, and if it wasn't that, it was because you ain't staying here past X, Y, Z age but it was never really attached to another person as why I'm getting this education. Yeah. I wonder if a cleanup job could be done there Um, because it seems though the message might be the same, get a good education. It seems the motivation behind it is different. And sometimes I wonder if boys were groomed from young that, Hey, at some point, you know, no one's going to put marriage or relationship or children down your throat, right? You could become an adult and decide you don't want to do those things and that could be just fine. But we do understand that children will grow up and growing up, they will have um, an affinity for relationships, intimate, romantic, sexual, familial And so I wonder if the messaging was, listen, you're going to grow up, get a good education or or do what you can so that you can be an independent person and take care of yourself. But we also understand at some point you will probably want to engage in some type of romantic relationship with someone I'm going to assume woman for our conversation, even though we know there's more options than that. Um, There is a certain arrival, a certain sense of self, a certain financial independence 
that needs to be achieved, maybe should be achieved before you could expect for, let's say, a woman to take you seriously or for you to expect to um, create things or build with one in a meaningful and healthy way. Right. So it sounds like the messaging that that men get is just like, oh, well, take care of yourself. And that's it. As if parents can't already anticipate that that child would need to be in relationships or desire to be in relationships as an adult male, as a man in whatever capacity. So I wonder if. If the messaging could just change from young, I don't know if that fixes it. I'm just having a curious conversation with you. What do you think about that? Um, my first thought was to, I, I think both sides of the equation can probably do a bit of a cleanup. I think there's value in attaching, um, attaching anything that you want someone to do to that person's own personal ambitions and aspirations. So children, you know, they have big ideas uh, about what they want to be when they grow up, what they want to do when they grow up. And I think the most valuable thing a parent could do is to say, hey, that idea, that thing that you can totally go make happen um, when you grow up, you can maximize your chances and pathways of getting that done if you go get these A's. I know you want to be this XYZ uh, person. Uh, the best way to get to that is to maximize your pathways and opportunities to get to that. And you can do that if you excel in school, right? There's not one way to get to where you're going. But if you excel at school, you'll have a bunch of different opp opportunities afforded to you to get to it and not just one. Um, and I think attaching it to a child's personal ambitions is really the best way to do it. Because if you tell it through the lens of to a, ma uh, a male child, oh, because you ain't staying here after 18, they don't want to stay there by the time they're 14 anyway. So they like... <laughs> Count down the clock. You ain't really inspiring anything in them. And then for uh, um, little girls, starting to like embed that message of so you don't need a man, so you don't need a man, so you don't depend on a man. I think while born in some reality and reason why that's true, starts to create a distrust and mistrust subconsciously where, you know, a young, a young lady might say, Hmm, why do I even have to consider that? Maybe a better way of putting it is there is something inherently negative about relationship with men that I have to guard against. Got it. Um, I know a lot of women who were either raised in two-parent homes or raised by fathers, and the father is given that message, right? It's not the, the woman who's doing so. I was listening to a clip of a podcast earlier, and one of the female speakers said, well, my father told me 
so you don't have to rely on a man, so you don't have to do all of this, right? They want what they hate, right? Like as a male, the father, you're telling me to be independent, not rely on men. And then I grow up as an adult, an adult female, and I am independent. I can take care of myself. I can do all of these things. And men don't like me for it. But it was the man who gave me the message. Mm. So there can be, if it was just the woman or the mother saying that, I can think of a host of things we could do to kind of bring that down a little bit. But when it's also fathers, uncles, cousins, you know, male male cousins and things like that, saying that, it kind of makes you go, what is it that people are so afraid of about men, even men? Yep. Uh, and those examples are ones I can point to as well. And I personally think that's self-sabotage when that is the consistent driving message that you are putting into a young woman's mind. Again, there's going to be a barrier, even subconscious, when she arrives to a point of interacting with men vying for her attention and relationship Um, and, you know, moderation and balance in all things. I don't think that's a message you never say. I do think there's a reality that must be confronted and warned against, right? That like, that's real. Um, I also think that simply telling someone, get a good education so that you can maximize your pathways towards success and not be reliant on anyone is sufficient. Like, male or female if you if you don't got no education and can't get a good job you're going to be having to rely on somebody your mama your daddy your your cousin that give you a couple bucks the government because you wait in for some you know uh government service like you are going to be reliant period right you are not going to be a person that can self-sustain without some type of support. And I think the message that uh, can be said to anyone, uh, any young person, it's always valuable to have support when you need it, but that's not how you want to operate your entire life where you, you, you have to have someone taking care of you. And so I think that enough without personalizing it or pathologizing it towards men in particular um, can still be done. And then as a woman grows older, starts having these type of relationship conversations, you can embed that stuff about, you know, um, why that independence is valuable in the context of relationship. But I, I just don't think that needs to be the dominant message from a girl's point of view. Okay, good stuff. So, you know, I study relationships, I study marriage and family, and how people quite literally match, marry, and mate. And because we're specifically talking about the Black community, one thing that um, I see, and I haven't studied every and all, but one thing that I see in other communities 
is there is an understanding of, let's call it the parents and the elders or the adult relatives. There's an understanding that they have between this link of birth and socialization, all the socialization that happens in childhood. So birth and socialization and what the expectations or needs or demands would be in a dating market or in a marriage market, depending on the culture. And because they can anticipate those demands, expectations, needs, those ideas and customs and thoughts are integrated into child rearing. And I'm not sure, and I'm I'm open for someone educating me differently, but I'm not sure that that is a consistent mainstay in the Black community. Where it's like, well, we know, we overwhelmingly, and I hear you and and other um, peers that I have say things like, no, that's not going to work with Black women. Or, you know, if you want to do this, it needs to look like this with black men, right? Like, so we know, we know what some of those expectations would be once once we're old enough, but I'm not sure that we work that in to the to the child rearing so that by the time a child arrives as an adult and is able to make those decisions and have relationships, you know, on his or her own, they in some way have arrived in that independence with what the other would be looking for, expecting, desiring, et cetera. So when you said, oh, I think some of the messaging, you know, can use the cleanup job on both sides, I agree. And that maybe there can be more of a central message for the majority of childhood, um, be able to take care of yourself, maximize opportunities that will allow you to do that. I don't know that school is necessarily the option for everybody to do that, but I got your point with just maximizing what those options are. And then a little bit older, let's call it teenager, we can pose some realities in which we would need to orient differently with with either, to be quite honest with you. So with that, do you see that? Is that just me? Do you see that there are some birth and socialization links with the expectations and needs and demands of relationships, marriage, and family, and that other cultures understand that association and speak to it in child rearing in some way? And how how well do you think we as a community are doing that. And you're talking about specifically like the idea, the institution of marriage. Or. Um, Being socialized. So let's say the activity of dating up until the institution of marriage, because everyone mm-hmm. doesn't desire marriage, but you will probably be relating to another adult let's call it of your own kind in most cases, not all, but Mm -hmm. another adult of your own kind in some way. And your parents knew that. So like- knew that you were gonna arrive there 
and they knew that you would enter into some type of dating situation or romantic relationship at some point. So like India matchmaker. Like India matchmaker. <laughs> which, wanna, is, which is wanna. my point, right? Like this is another culture who understands that and look how that look how different that looks, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um to to directly answer your question, I don't think that exists in at least American black culture. I can't speak for mm-hmm. other cultures of the diaspora and, and how they conduct dating and courtship, but uh, American black culture, I haven't seen that in any regard, except for maybe an individual parent or parents of a child that has decided you ain't going out with nobody unless I meet them, right? Like that kind of just choice that they uh, place on their child. Uh, But um, as a collective, nah, that's, that don't exist nowhere. Uh, that I can observe. Should we? Is that a possible? I realize we're just having a possible solutions conversation, but is that a possible that we could? So I'll give you an example. You know, we are raising our youngest son together. He's 14, getting ready to finish eighth grade and is preparing for his eighth grade dance. And I believe in children having their own autonomy. So I would have liked for him to dress a certain way, right? I'm like, listen, this is how you do this. He's like, no, I want to wear this. So I let him have that, right? I'm giving him his autonomy. But then there is a level of expectation that I am requiring. It's a standard of mine. And that is how he treats someone's daughter. So I he said, mommy, it's not that big of a deal. I don't have to wear a suit. I don't have to wear a tie and all of that. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that old school. It's just a dance. It's a sneaker ball type thing. And, you know, I gave him that. This is his dance, his generation. They do their thing. I said, well, as a woman, mommy can tell you how a girl or how a woman wants to have an experience, how they want to experience something. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pick her up. We're going to make sure y'all both get to the dance, have a good time, and then we're going to take her home. And, you know, when you pick her up, we're going to have the corsage and I'm going to walk you through what you need to do so that it can be an experience for her. And he's like, oh, we got to do all of that. And like, this is this is what that means to um, want a to want a girl to go to the dance with you, for her to be escorted by you, for you all to. Um, have fun together, but for her to feel safe with you, all the things, right? So I had to walk him through why that's important, why that's valuable. And then when I did, he's, you know, he's like, yeah, um, she's worth that. I can do that. It, it wouldn't have been my first mind. But now that you've told me that's how a girl wants to experience something, let's do that. And then it, interestingly enough, as he accepted that, he on his own came to go, maybe I should dress up a little bit more for this then. And then he went with the, you know, the suit and tie option. But I already anticipate that he'd want to take a girl to the dance. And of course, that's what happened. I already anticipated how she would want to experience it because I understand it, right? At least the the socialization pieces of it. I don't know what she would want specifically as as a young girl, but I, I have the experience 
And, you know, they both became a little bit more excited because, oh, there's a bar here and we are expected to relate to each other, you know, in a certain way. So would you, I think, I think parents pretty much of any culture do that in some regard. In what ways can you give families, American Black families, some credit in, in the way that I just phrased that? Do you see that happening? A level of expectation when it comes or? Uh, I feel like it's kind of a toss up. I mean, it's, it's just highly dependent on a set of parents. Not oh, not at all. Uh, you know, there's some parents that are laser focused on knowing who their, you know, children's uh, friends are and who they're dating and all of that. And then there are those, it's just like, don't have a police call me. Right. <laughs> and for the most part, whatever they doing, just don't have a police at a school call me. So. Uh, very hands off. And so um, I can't say that it's, it's a, it's a part of the cultural fabric, right? Like Indian matchmaking. You could tell that's a part of the cultural fabric. It's not even just the, the mama and the daddy that's there on the first date in the house. It's the grandma. It's the granddad. Like it's, (laughs) it's the sister, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) It's a part of the cultural fabric. They know first date, he about to pull up and we all going to be there mob style to vet him. Um, I I do think there's value. You know, this wasn't a part of the culture when we grew up, so I can't even speak to it from a person who's participated. And I'm sure I have blind spots, but there seems to be some value in at minimum, let's call it supervised courtship. Maybe you're not picking your child's, you know, husband or wife, but you have influence over who they say they want to date. Uh, At a certain age, you're read in on where they are, who they're with, those type of things. And it's a broad-based understanding. Um, I love the fact I keep going back to that show because it's just a show we like to watch. I love the fact that the man presents and the family collectively gives their opinion. Like, should we carry forward? Like On paper, it seems like this is a good guy. Now, everybody can't afford a matchmaker, right? So maybe you meet someone out and about that just gives you a first read that you are curious about enough that you want to present guy to family or something and then he just knows uh next time i see her it's gonna be to a squat they're gonna maybe not at the house but at the coffee shop it's gonna be her her sister mama them and after that point they're gonna collectively decide if he seems good enough for you to move forward with right like i don't see a harm in that not just at a adult level but especially a a youth level um again i don't think it has to be an extreme to the point where you're choosing the person's mate maybe you do have someone you want them to 
date or give a shot, that's cool too. But I don't think it's like, this is going to be your husband or wife. We don't have to go that far, but no, it's like a while. matchmaker doesn't either. I love that. I know. I love that yeah. the matchmaker on the show says that's a little bit of a, a dated idea. And so they had to figure out as a group of people, how right. to keep some um, cultural customs and norms in a contemporary world. And so they figured yeah. that out and made that adjustment as a collective. Yeah, I think bottom line, what I think is valuable in those type of uh, communities or that approach is the fact that the choice to engage with someone seriously is a family decision. It's a family decision. Now, you have to have strong families to do that. Right. Oh, well, the point, the you point have, of it all. You have, to have, you have to be able to look your parents in the eye and actually trust their opinion. You have to have a good relationship with your siblings to trust their opinion. Um, so there's a huge prerequisite that's required for that. But, you know, setting that aside, uh, I do think the idea of family decision about who you move forward with in a serious way just to date is a good one because they're going to see things you don't see they're going to observe things that you might not observe because you swooning and uh you need people to look for those uh look out for your blind spots just like this article said you know they need that swag see they looking for the swag mama looking for that act up I have a contention with that part in the article. And sh should we hold it or should we go there right now? Uh, we can hold it, but okay. yeah, I, I think it, it speaks to it. Like they talk about women look, look for swag. And I had a little beef with it too. But even if that's true, and I grant that women want, quote, black swag. Black uh, it just, women want yes. black swag, yes. Yeah, it's like, no, all of them. But yeah, for the article, they were <laughs> <laughs> for the article they were talking about black women um my point is there will be a phase where you're swooning sure you need somebody to look out for for the other things sure and you know that's part of why i do my work in my coaching practice one of the things that i have to ask women is okay who's in your circle who's in your community that can help you date and often they're like huh who if we take your point where family having um, either some say-so, some influence, or even just being consulted, if we take your point, if, if we're saying that even in structures where they have historically done this, it is worked in the cultural fabric and they do it, right? They make sure their parents and siblings and, and nuclear family and even close relationally extended family are dialed in, how much more should you be trying to uh, have some community when you're dating, when you don't have that, right? And that has to be something that I tell clients all the time. It may not be your personal family, and we understand why that could be the case in the Black community, but it needs to be somebody. Being out here dating on your own with no historical precedent of how we do this thing, with no sign of, oh, well, there is a link or an association between 
how we are born and socialized with what it is that we expect with no influence. Just none of that is there, right? And we understand some dangers of interacting, let's say, with the wrong kind of man back to how both mothers and fathers have maybe over-groomed their daughters for dangers. If all of that's true, how much more should you go, you know what, I'm not going to do this alone. Even if mm-hmm. I have a coach, a therapist, a mentor, um, you know, my neighbor that lives down the street from me that's been married for 50 years, that's we know, like somebody, right? So I love <laughs> I love this idea of you're going to be swooning. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and you need some type of oversight. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's good stuff. So maybe that is a potential solve or a potential idea for us to just think about as a community. How do we make uh, the associations with birth and socialization and what we know our community is going to expect when it comes to relationship, marriage, family, that type of thing. And what is our cultural fabric when it comes to sending our children off into a world where they will eventually partner with someone romantically? Yeah, uh, a thought for maybe another conversation, but I'll drop something. It's especially critical, at least as I'm thinking of a man to woman situation. There's a thin line between a man entertaining you and having interest in you. And you need multiple people to be able to assess that because he can make. He he can throw all the bells and whistles and all the things that look like interest, but it's really just entertaining and charming. Um, but you, you, it's important to have multiple people in your circle to be able to vet that over time. It, you're not going to do it in one sitting, but it's just the value of the collective. The value of the collective. That's the word. That reminds me of there's this gym you, that you drop. I'm not going to do it justice, but you say something like uh, charm with no substance is something. I forget how you put it, but that reminds me of when you say not only is there a distinction between entertaining and interest, that men also have an ability to have a facade, make entertainment look like interest so much so that it takes um a collective of people to help you be able to distinguish do you know what you say what's that gem you drop i think i just said uh charm with no substance eventually gets exposed oh that's it yeah (laughs) it just eventually gets exposed sooner or later um you can't you can't keep up the facade forever yeah yeah i love that one thank you so much for adding that okay so We've discussed the disparities in education and economic status to an extent. I want to address some of the things here in the article. Do you have something flagged as it relates to those disparities before I ask you one of my pressing questions? Uh, No, let's let's press on. 
Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work, and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Make community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have digital resources, video training, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If that sounds like something you want, be sure to join today. I'd love to have you. Visit CoachJoyce.com. That's CoachJoyce, J-O-Y-I-C-E, to get started because I want to see your face in the place. Early in the article, the authors say, to understand how Black women manage the duality between being single and connected to a community that values familialism, we explore the lived experiences of five Black women. This struck me because the duality of being single and connected to a community that values familialism. And this is what makes us be a little bit unique for Black women across that diaspora, even though we, we are specifically talking about American women, American Black women. There is this value of family that we have, right? And it's kind of like encoded in our DNA. And some of the source of the issue is that. And it's like, well, that's a DNA thing. We can't help that we are wired toward communalism or wired toward um, family familialism in the way that we are. And as such, we desire partners. And within that, we desire, for the most part, partners of our own people. And so do you believe that Though to no fault of anyone else, it's just inborn that that reality could serve as a potential threat or ding for Black women, not against them, but just, you know, for them. Well, the way that we value family as a people, the way that we value community as a people, that's gonna just make it difficult for you to desire singlehood in terms of away from all those things. And even within that, it'll make it difficult for you to desire creating family with a non-Black person. I, I can't find an argument to be made that the universal makeup of black women everywhere is to be dedicated to like keeping the family intact. I can't make an argument that that's a bad thing. Like it's just, I think very important. I don't see how it's a ding, especially when Many of the things that have gotten us to this point, if you look at it, it's not like other aspects of our communities have progressed in, let's call it positive ways. And like that inborn DNA, as you describe it, 
is like outdated or needs to be left behind. It's like the other components, specifically black men in certain, in many regards, um, have gone the wrong way on this specific issue. Mm. Right. In my opinion, uh, have, have gone the wrong direction. And so I don't think the answer is, well, you go to the wrong direction too. <laughs> uh, black woman, you go the wrong direction. <laughs> Just give up on the family too. No, I don't, I don't think that's the solve. I think the solve is let's steer the pieces of the puzzle that have gone in the wrong direction back towards what has always proven to been our greatest strength. And that is the family unit of black communities. So uh, no, I wouldn't call it a ding. Okay. I love how you cleared that up. I wasn't speaking about it being a ding inherently. I just meant socially. Oh, well, man, we desire family. We desire family of our own kind. And it, and there's not and great enough number of partners to, to choose from to fulfill those desires. And so as such, you know, we're just kind of SOL. I love how you said, I can't think of that being a bad thing. And so because of that, it speaks more to something else has gone off, but it can't be that something is wrong with the fact that Black women desire family, community, and with their own kind. Exactly. Okay, so that brings me to, I had a slight issue here. It says, um, the popular media describes single Black mothers as the biggest impediment to the progress for the Black community. I would love to hear what you have to say, but I immediately thought, well, man, this is flawed because it puts the onus on mothers as if they're getting pregnant alone. So how does it become that Black mothers are the biggest impediment to the progress for Black community and not the issue of two adults coming together and the the job not being complete or the responsibility not being carried over across two people? How does that how does that over identify into being just one party? So your audience can't can't see my face, but it was just a big screw face the entire time because as soon as you read it, it made me uh, it made me frustrated because I read it and I was like, huh? <laughs> First of all, I didn't know this was the case. I, I thought this was like a because it's 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 talking about something that was cited in 2013. Now I have heard of this being the case in like the eighties and nineties where they were talking about crack babies and, you know, mothers on welfare, but I didn't realize that this is quote, the biggest impediment still in the two thousands. And if that's true, uh, I think it's flaw. Black mothers as the biggest impediment to to the black community. So I the forget progress. The, the progress for the black community. So um gosh, that is just jacked up, right? So 
you know, at, at the, and I'm just going off the top of, uh, you know, just, just kind of throwing it out there. There's within a community, there's man, woman, children, and then external environment outside of the immediate community. That's kind of like the basic. I don't think you're ever going to say that it's the children that's the biggest impediment because they largely don't have agency um, compared to adults. And so when I think about all the other factors, first of all, biggest impediment for progress is the external environment. Let's never forget that, Black folks. <laughs> let's Let's never forget who the real enemy is. But after that, when I think about, you know, uh, how the impediment, gosh, that one's, that, that's upsetting because um, there's a, I forget who it is, maybe one of the presidents, FDR, something like that, um, or maybe one of the presidents in the UK. Um, they talked about being in the arena. People will talk smack, but are you in the arena? Teddy Roosevelt. Are you, are you doing the work? Mm -hmm. And you can never say that Black women haven't been doing the work. They have been in the arena when everybody else, man, external environment, whatever, has checked out or has been purposefully intentional in trying to burn it to the ground. And so have black women, black mothers, according to this article, which is even more specific, gotten it wrong and trying to hold, hold it down and just be in the arena and keep it intact. As we said, probably there are probably things that have been warped um, or just done wrong in an effort to just Keep it from dying on the vine entirely. Sure. But to call it, call black mothers, according to media or whatever, the big, and according to some talking heads, the biggest impediment, I think that's crazy. I think that's crazy. Okay. So <laughs> I think that's crazy too. <laughs> it, it always strikes me as odd when m- most of the fault or most of the issue, the problem falls on one party in a two-party dance. That's not to say that that couldn't be the case, but I'm always just a little bit more, hmm. And so that definitely struck me there. And so moving on, this the disparities in education and economic status, here's where I'm at with this. So we understand that there's a gap. We understand that Black women in a majority of the cases are more educated or have more economic status or power by comparison. And usually there's conversations about Usually there's conversations around that reality in Black women needing to settle 
or needing to, you know, come down, marry down is a phrase. And I'm not saying that marrying down is a wrong thing to do or a bad idea. I've seen it happen um, with Black couples. It is an option. I don't know if that should be the overwhelming messaging that we're given to, to Black women who have this, you know, stature of education, economic prowess. I wonder though, could it could another message to interject here to be for black men to just level up? Uh yeah. Uh I don't uh, I think that's reasonable. And you know how how I see it. Um leveling up is key for sure. However, I I feel like it needs to be done in the realm of ambition and not specific to formal education is my opinion. And, you know, I, I recently read a book we both did called uh, Of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves that talks about some unique issues that are happening with men globally that I don't think societies are fully appreciating. Um, and for those that are interested in the topic, please go get the book. It's fantastic. But part of what he talks about in that book is that they're starting to identify this uns as yet unsolved issue of men, boys, especially, but obviously as they grow into male manhood, um, this issue of like lack of ambition, just not wanting to have pushed themselves or not finding it in themselves to have the drive to like, go get it, go get it. Um, in grade school, in higher education, they see like all the girls around them crushing it and kind of just say, ah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, that's either. I'm not, I'm not as good or just I'm not interested. They check out. I think that's the thing that we got to solve for black men is like this idea of ambition. Like, what are you out here trying to make happen? And it doesn't have to be some perfect formal education, but do you have a vision? Do you have a plan to get there? And are you executing on that plan? That's really what I believe to be the single most important piece, uh, because in my experience dating and then obviously courting you, one of the most consistent things that I think was valued is like, when you say you're going to do something, it usually gets done. I can trust that you're going to deliver on the thing for you or for me. Like, and that's, that's the thing. Like, if a woman desires not financial, but safety in your coverage as a man, like I des as a woman, they desire safety in your coverage, whatever that coverage is. Uh, they have to trust that it can be delivered and delivered consistently. And if you can't deliver for yourself, how are they going to trust that they can you could deliver for them and for a family? And so I think that central idea of just ambition, 
going to get it, delivering on the thing that you say you want to deliver on for yourself is, is what's missing in the level up conversation. I don't think it's just, you know, go get a, an MBA. It's can you deliver on the things you personally say you want for yourself? Yeah, I agree. That's why even earlier in our conversation, I said, I don't know that school or grade, it would be the thing to solely attach to it, but definitely some aspiration, right? So I I like this. So maybe, um, maybe one potential solve can be how do we generate a level of ambition with our Black male youth so that as they maturate into adult men, they can be trusted to deliver. They can be trusted to have a plan or make something happen. And then all of how life opens up for you in the way that it does when you have that posture towards it. Mm, Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this arena by any means. I haven't personally built institutions. Right. So I'm going to acknowledge that I'm sure there's a lot of things that I don't know. But my intuition, just observations, being a Black man, reading the limited amount of things that I have read, my intuition says we don't have enough male-centered, healthy male-centered institutions. Mm. especially at a youth level, actually all levels, all levels. Uh, But since we're talking about how to groom this at the youth level, I don't think we have enough male centered institutions. I think there is a unique way of fostering ambition in youth males that requires an abundance of other youth males around them to kind of generate out of them. Uh, And absent of that, you leave leave it, uh, it's up for risk. You know, getting lazy, losing that ambition, focusing more on the charm than the substance. Mm. Uh, And I think more male-centered youth institutions that are built around developing an idea and seeing it through or um, learning how to fight through challenges with your male peers uh, is a foundational exercise that can only serve to help when you get um, to an older age. And we see this in like nature, right? Like youth male whatever species playing fighting it out doing all of these things at a small age to learn what it feels like to push through challenges meet force with force you know not just of a individual peer but just the idea of meeting force with force and pushing through and not giving up just because you heard something or felt something that was uncomfortable or you didn't like um, failure all of those things and so um. yeah I think that's what we need and I think that's what's missing yeah I think there's some systemic issues too I know when I'm asking other men these questions and even just you know 
reading things on the internet and listening to, to Black men have commentary on whatever the cultural or viral topic is of the day. You know, they say things like, well, sometimes it's easier for women to navigate certain circles more or better. I don't know that that should be an excuse to not do anything, but I do accept it as a reality of Black men, at least in this in this country. Um, but even with that, I think what we're kind of landing on is Black boys and sometimes even Black men need more help than we think they do, than we thought that they did. Yeah. And the Richard Reeves book that I discussed that you have read too, talks about this, talks about the fact that there are institutions that are missing and we underappreciate the necessity of them. So uh, I think that's the where the, the major opportunity is. And yeah, you're right. There are certain circles, and I would agree with that, certain circles, institutions that are uh, more advantageous. Um, uh, uh, in certain circumstances for women. But like you said, not an excuse if you have your own personal ambitions and drive. I, I think those type of things can be um, be superseded if you, if you have the internal fortitude. And a lot of our young male youth just that hasn't been fostered in them. So I want to bring up this other point. The article says various reasons have been cited for this decline in marriage rates, including increased disparities in education and economic status, which we've tackled already between Black women and men, and increased interracial marriages by Black men. And so this is where it starts to get a little painful if you are a Black woman, because, okay, fine, I've achieved more in most cases or I had my degree is, you know, I have the degree where maybe uh, a black man doesn't or mine is a little bit more advanced, what have you. I think that is painful a little bit, but black women being the amazing creatures that we are, we find ways to circumvent that or we find ways to, you know, process that reality or figure out some other type of outcome for ourselves. And so I think it takes more effort, more labor, but I don't know that it's as painful as this one. And it's not necessarily the interracial marriage, though that is it. It is, we have a group, Black men, who I'm going to use your language and say, don't always, because this is not every, obviously, Black man, but just who don't always have a level of ambition that would lead a woman to be able to trust in his coverage and in his delivery. We'll say it like that. And so if that's true and more Black women are, let's say, passing you by as a result, if Black men were left in that state, let's say, they would have to figure out a way to become more attractive. They would have to figure out a way to become more fit, more fitting, more suitable. Um, that's just how human beings work, right? Oh, oh, well, we want this. And if we are not able to um, match with that at the current level, what do we need to do to, 
to get to the level so that we can. But that doesn't happen. We don't live in a in a reality in, in terms of what the article is speaking, where you know what, black men will just catch up because they'll have to. So there may be one generation of black women that just have to grin and bear it, if you will, but they will catch up. Well, what's happening is they're like, oh, black women are passing us by. We won't do the work to quote unquote level up, even if it is in the ambition we will marry out instead of leveling up. And so it is painful to be left in that state if you are a Black woman. It is painful to realize that Black men would rather go out, and not everyone, but you know what I'm saying, would rather go out than come up. And I think there is a a third layer there where that sucker punch because we don't necessarily desire to do the same thing. Like, no, but we want Black men. It'd be different if our response to that would be, well, fine, we will go get a non-Black you know, black man, which, you know, some Black women are choosing to do, but it's not nowhere near the degree. So when, when the article says it's increased interracial marriage, I know one of the things that we flagged was Interracial marriages on the rise in the Black community favor men, 24%. And that was a 2011 or 2012 stat. So that was from Pew Research. I went to look up a more recent, which was 2017. So five years ago, the number had not changed for Black men. It was still 24%. So that number is accurate. But it it did increase a little with Black women. It went from 9%, as you see, in the article to 12%. So I guess 3% of Black women are like, shoot, I'm about to have me a man, even if it's a non-Black one, at least from the time of the article until 2017. But I would love to hear from a Black man, and I'm pretty sure my audience would too, what do you say about that? Is that the solution? Is that- You're get me on my Omar Johnson. <laughs> well, yeah. when you when you were saying black, you know, youth, um, black male youth institutions, I almost said insert Umar Johnson, but <laughs> you beat me to the punch now, so let's do it. You're about to get me on my Umar Johnson tip. Uh, <laughs> I first of all, I actually don't think the the narrative that you laid out is is fully accurate in my opinion. Yes, black men are marrying out far quicker than anyone else. I don't think, however, the reason is because black women are passing them by. I think it's because black women are holding them to account and they don't want to show up for the work. Oh, we're saying the same thing a different way, but I like the way you said it better. So let's go with that. And uh, also, it, there's something that just there's something in us. There's something that has been, unfortunately, almost like inception. We were asleep. They put some 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 bug in our brain, and now, like we marry out more than all other male races combined. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I 
don't think it's helpful. If you remember earlier in the conversation, I said that our superpower, the thing that has been the source of our strength as a community is a strong family unit. That is what has always been the source of our strength as a community. And if you ain't building that, then what, like everything else is marginal, um, in my opinion. If you are not building strong Black families, if you are not contributing to that unit, that nuclear unit, everything else is marginal. I'm not going to say it's not useful. It is. There's more than one thing that needs to be done, but that is the most important, especially in an environment where you ain't safe. I think we've gotten used to the comforts of life and not having to be, you know, not having to fight for where we can sit in the in the restaurant and have kind of forgotten that there's still a war. There's still things actively being done to break us. And in those circumstances, your best chance of survival is if you are strong and unified. And that starts with the family, the Black family. And so when Black men marry outside of their community, more than all other male populations combined, that is a major indication that it is not simply statistical variation. Something else is going on. And unfortunately, in addition to being held to account and not wanting to be there for the work, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's, there must be more value placed on what Black men see as a greener side of the pasture. I, mm. I, I don't know what is greener. I don't know if it's, I, I could tell you what I've heard, you know, is it this idea of other women being more docile? Is it this idea of the article said something about like the man in the transaction gets, uh, what was it? Exchange of racial status when they marry a white woman? That I didn't believe at all, but it was in the article. Um, and if 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 a black man actually believes that's what he's acquiring, then I question a lot of things about his his wisdom. Because if you really think you're going to acquire some racial status by marrying a white woman, in particular, because that's what I was talking about, then you don't know how the world works. So is it that? Um, well, it's it. I think the article is saying that's what they believe they are getting, which now makes that exchange worthwhile. Now, whether they are actually getting that or not is different, but that is seems to be the transaction that they're making ahead of time, which is, again, doubly painful on the other side because it doesn't... Right. And here, here and this comes back, you know what? Shout out to Indian matchmaking. Another thing that they talked about not explicitly, but you if you pay attention, you'll notice when they do the whole profile, what does she call it? The bio data. The bio data. <laughs> when they talk about the bio data, one of the things that a lot of these 
individuals are looking for is like, I apologize if I get the wrong nomenclature, but like a specific sect within a group of people. Like they don't just say, oh, I want an Indian. They say, I want, you know, you gotta be from Bombay. Remember the couple? Like, you gotta be from Bombay. That's where my family is from, and I'm not. And not just with Bombay, it. like a Bombay Who X Y Z particular language. Yes, like down to the <laughs> tribe. Like that's what you must be, and I respect it. I respect it. What I got out of that is the extension of our people is of utmost importance. Mm. I re- I respect all other Indians. I respect all other people, but the extension of my people is of utmost importance. And even if that whittles down the list of people that I have available to me, I value and respect what that that collection that I'm a part of brings enough where I'm willing to hold out for it. Because I know what I get with that person, that 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 bio data. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite and, part. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I respect that, yo. Like, I do there's one point, however many billion Indians in the world, and you talking about it's got to be someone from Bombay and this specific tribe that speaks speaks this specific language. Like, you are whittling it down. And then, then they have little kind of playful wars like but are you literate can you just speak it or can you right. write it you know like they want right. to see how preserved the will cultures. they be by matching and marrying you because if you just speak it and i just speak it we can't teach our children how to read and write it at least one of us has to read and write it otherwise we lose our ability to be fully literate in our own language right and because the extension of my people as a, is of highest order. It is primacy. Black men, um, something, something about what has happened to us in this country has disrupted that. That level of primacy for preserving our own um, and extending our own. Uh, has been uh, taken from us, ripped from us. And we haven't quite, we haven't gotten it back yet, uh, unfortunately. And I think it's the single, one of the single biggest issues that we have to contend with. Because without it, again, especially in a place where we're still at war, extinguishment or straight obsolescence is not off the table if we don't keep our eye on the ball you got to keep it tight i think you got i think all things are contextual everything doesn't have to be true at every period of time sure. but right now in wartime you need to keep it in house that's my opinion and i don't think that's going to change during our lifetimes mm. you got right, Y'all hear that? <laughs> I don't think that's going to... You got to keep it in house, bro. Like, that's primacy. And we've been given all these messages that other things supersede that. Mm, I don't agree. Okay. So that brings me to this point. 
this idea of Black women marrying down, first of all, I just want to say that while that can be the case for certain couples and they will be just fine, again, I don't know if that should be the the resounding messaging because this struck me. Marrying down relationships are more prone to dissolve, contributing to the high divorce rates among Black couples. So if you can get it to work for you, fine. You'll you'll get no smoke from me. But I don't know if a relationship type that leads to more dissolution and contributes to more rape. And I think at some point in here, they even say it is disastrous for a lot of Black women to do so. I don't think that should be the, the resounding message. That shouldn't be the primary thing. Oh, well, how do we solve this or fix this? Well, just tell Black women to marry down. Tell this lawyer who has achieved all of these things to just go with the mechanic. Tell this for, this um, Fortune 500 VP to marry the postal worker because those types of relationships, while sometimes can work, overwhelmingly so they do not. And I like to joke with my clients and say, listen, Oprah got a man, but she ain't married him. Because <laughs> there, there is a difference there, right? And of course, you know, Sam is not broke, but he's not Oprah. So I don't know how wise that is to just lead with as a messaging. But the point of it all is, despite the challenges with marrying down, Black women may feel pressured to marry Black men as to not betray culture and other men in their lives like fathers, grandfathers, and other male ancestors. And the first question that came to my mind was, do Black men feel this way? If they don't, why don't they? You know, does betraying Black women in that same way not matter to Black men? No. And I don't know what it is. I think there's a lot of layers. But what we do know is the labor of keeping the family intact is a labor that black women hold with the highest regard. It's in, it, it shows through in the fact that this article talks about uh, they're, they're the highest rate of uh, adopters, common acts of, let's say, turning back and supporting the younger generation and their child rearing is a very common thing in the black community grandmothers, great-grandmothers, sisters, uh, nieces, etc. Holding out for Black men is another example. So it's there. It is obvious. It's held in this high regard. Collectively, it has been ripped from our, I think, hearts as a driving desire that needs to be reestablished. Again, this is another reason why male-centric institutions, um, supervised courtship, teaching kids from young, a lot of that would, I think, turn the tide as well. Like, these people on Indian matchmaking, they didn't hear a message about marrying an Indian or somebody from their tribe at 25. Back to the link they, between they, birth and socialization, right? Yo, they, and this this has been from 
from birth. From birth. They've been hearing this message. They've seen all of their cousins and their older siblings go through the same process. Matter of fact, one of the episodes, uh, the guy, uh, you know, one of the brother-in-laws was like, yeah, I remember when I was sitting in your seat, like people see the next man go through it, the next woman go through it. They just know this is how it's going to go. And this is what's most important in our culture. Um, I think building cultural habits can actually turn the tide. Mm. Right. I, I, I don't think this has to be a forever thing. I think you just start with the youth right. and you build cultural habits. Fortunately, Black women own largely, largely, currently, socialization of our children in, in their youth ages. And it's not a one person job, but to the extent that black women have this, I'll call it ownership and burden to do so for now until the rest of the party shows up, I would make a clarion call to all black women everywhere. Just start beating that message into all our black boys head. You're going to marry a black woman. You're going to marry a black woman. You're going to marry a black woman. <laughs> if she can't use your comb, don't bring her home. <laughs> Yo, whatever. And I've seen it. And it works. It does. It works. Am- like, there's a lot of things that you can... There's a lot of things that, you know, this, this new age crop of children are going to buck back on. Whatever. I don't see too many bucking back when I when I know the 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 mother. I've never I, I rarely see a, a buck back on that part. It's just like you're gonna marry a black woman. You know, they'll it usually works out. So maybe that maybe that's yeah. a step one. You know what? I agree. I mean, I need to have a little bit more time to think over the majority of my social pool, but for who's coming to mind, I agree. I know I raise my hand, you know. We have two black sons and I I don't beat a dead horse with it, but I am clear to say, hey, <laughs> there's a there's a certain responsibility that that you have with the state of our people. And let's talk about what that looks like for you. And my sons have stayed true to that where when it comes to their crushes. When it comes to their desires, you know, even attractions and connections that they've made. And I know I have one son in particular who, you know, he's like, listen, I'm talking about blackity black, black, black. <laughs> I'm all black, right? And I'm I am proud of that. Of course, I'm their mother, and they can make choices different than what I um would have preferred or liked and I'll have to get over myself or or figure it out in some other way. But I do take pride in socializing my sons into Blackness where they understand I am a member of a community, not just an individual who happens to be Black. How many entertainers, stand-up comedians, people in the public sphere, Black men? It happens all the time. If you really listen, a lot of them are like, you know, I was growing up. My mama was like, you ain't bringing a white girl home. 
Like, it, it, <laughs> how many times have you heard that in public consumption? Right. It right. happens often. I think we're so caught up in like, you know, my child having agency and discovering themselves. Like, sure. All of that is important. And then there are things that aren't up for debate. Well, it's just bigger than you, right? We have right. to, we have to, one of the things that, so here here would be my slight critique with um, the concept of Indian matchmaking. It's not the concept of it, it's America. So the critique is against America. It is always clear when auntie is dealing with someone who has been too Americanized. Those individuals have a harder time assimilating themselves into the cultural fabric, as you said, even though they still feel some responsibility to do so. So, for example, there's one girl on there and she's 40 and she's like, oh, I'm just so removed. Right. I'm so Americanized. And even though because the collective of what it means to be Indian is still so strong and great, she knows she can tap into it and that at some point she should, even as she approaches 40 which is a little bit older for um, what you would traditionally see in that community, that is there, right? And so sometimes there's conversations on the show about how the Western thought has made them think that they are more individual than collective and how that mindset has played itself out, not necessarily to their advantage when it came to looking for a partner. So much so that they're having to rely on a matchmaker from their homeland to reassimilate them because they ne couldn't necessarily do that quite on their own so far removed. And so, yeah, you are an individual and that is important, but you also belong to a community. And we yeah. have to be careful to not teach our children or even, even make it okay with adults to over-index on individuality so much so that you don't contribute to your own community. Yeah. Welcome to America. That's what we preach. Individuality, 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 community be damned. I mean, the mm -hmm. country couldn't even get their shit together during a global pandemic. Like the biggest existential crisis on planet earth in a hundred years and we couldn't get our shit together and get on the same page because everybody wanted to do their same thing, their own thing while not thinking about the collective. And that's just not even an African thought. Right. It's literally not even an African thought. African in the truest sense, like our roots. Right. We're not rooted in being a dominant leaning individualistic society. I think it's 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 rooted in slavery and some of the warped things that were just embedded in black men when it comes to hypersexualization coupled with, you know, all of this individualistic thinking and probably some level of self-hate and lack of ambition. This massive cocktail of just stuff all results in what I think is a severe underappreciation for the responsibility providing the safety of your coverage to your own people and own community and leaning more into what feels like the path of least resistance 
uh, it, I think it can be fixed. I can be think it can be fixed within a generation if everyone chooses to just <laughs> low key indoctrinate their their young boys. Um, Do not use that word, Jeremiah. <laughs> Maybe re- resume to the familial and communal understanding of the yeah, 1960s. Yeah. All of those, all of those, all of those things. But like, we can do it with with that type of intentional focus with all of our young black boys. But without that, um, you know, the cycle will continue. Um, so funny that you mentioned not even an African thought because the article does mention that about it being this genesis of black women, even in the diaspora. It says an important aspect of African culture in forming this study is familialism. The African culture believes that identity can only be defined in relation to one's community, family, unit, clan, and nations, or, you know, or tribe. And so as such, familialism, while still evident among Blacks in the United States, it may not resemble the familialism in Africa, but nonetheless, it's still there. Familialism in the United States is best described as a hybrid between individualism, you know, and family. Okay, yeah. I'll buy the hybrid, but it's still a hybrid. It's not an over-index on one part. Totally forgot that was there. Um, yeah, totally forgot that was there. And um, yeah, I think it speaks to what exactly, exactly what I was saying. I do want to close out this article with that swag. <laughs> because... I didn't even like how it was defined. Me neither. Y'all listen to this. Black women's marital preference may also be related to women's desire for swag, not normally observed in white men. But then the way that they swag embodies Black masculinity, which you know they're inciting Banks. And he irks me because, you know, what his, his uh, solution for the decline of African-American marriage me in his book. You all heard this book is Marriage for White People by Banks. So yeah, he's the person who they cited for swag embodies Black masculinity. But then it goes on to say a man with swag sets his own agenda and refuses to abide by anyone else's. He leads rather than follows and he is not afraid to let others know. And while I do think there's some swaggaliciousness to that I had to ask, well, this is interesting because historically this has not even been a black man's reality. And at least in this country, that he could set his own agenda and refuse to abide by it. So I'm like, how did that become? (laughs) I don't know. This article spent, I would say, a good enough time citing some historical truths so that we could be centered. And then that one went a little left for me. What were your thoughts, babe? Uh, I think that whole paragraph could have just been chucked out and the <laughs> the the report would have been better off. It just felt like irrelevant. I do think there's a unique, I, I, I continue to call it charm. I think there's a unique charisma that many Black men can turn on that Black women respond to. Sure. It, that, Let's just call that cultural understanding. I don't really think it needs to be uh, researched and 
further described in an article about women's ambivalence toward marriage or or singlehood or anything like that. It just is what it is. Again, though, I think uh, the swag that's been mentioned can be a distraction from what to really look for when pursuing or deciding who the air quote black, right, black man for any particular woman is. Yes, he should have some level of self-confidence and charisma and ability to charm you, entertain you, because that's really what charm is. It's an ability to entertain, but don't get fooled by the entertainment. Entertainment is an interest necessarily. So that's really what what I would say about swag. And it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the article. It's just a little food for thought for your audience in terms of distinguishing between the two entertainment and interest. Okay, you want to set up this article or at least these the social groups that you mostly maybe, 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 maybe we leave it for another talk. I don't know. I think it fits. Okay, you mean connected? What you mean? Say it. Connect connect in another talk, we just make the connection. I have some things to say, but I'll follow your lead. Okay, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'm going to follow my husband's lead on this one and extend our next topics into another conversation that you'll be able to join us for in the season one bonus episode. We end every episode with thought or heart-provoking questions for your journal. Journaling is simply prayers on paper, and the Most High tends to those too. Dear listeners, do you value individuality over community or community over individuality, and why? What does the Black community mean to you? Do you have cultural pride in it? How do the decisions that you make contribute to the Black collective, especially your dating, marital, sexual, and reproductive decisions? How do you support the idea of the Black family? How can you do your part to uphold it? Can the Black family suffer endangerment or extinction? If so, what are you willing to do about it? It's okay to write about the blessings and the burdens. Pour it out into your journal today. Release yourself, free yourself, and most of all, be yourself. P.S. No woman or man is better at being you than you. I want to thank Jeremiah for joining me today and sharing his ideas and insights with the Match Mary Made audience. I usually sign off with a single African proverb that's relevant to the episode, but so many came to mind with today's conversation. I couldn't just choose one. So allow me to leave you with three. A woman is a flower in a garden. Her husband is the fence around it. So thank you, Jeremiah, for being my fence. If there is no enemy within, the enemy outside cannot harm. And that's a nod to our community getting our act together with each other. And last but not least, if the family is together, the soul is in the right place. And I shouldn't have to explain this one. If you're Black, it's very much uh, if you know, you know. So I'm going to leave it right there. 
Thank you for joining me today and tuning into season one's final episode of the Match Mary May podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please comment, rate, and review our podcast. Your feedback would just melt my Southern girl heart. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Do you have a private or sensitive dating and relationship issue you want to chat with me about? Sometimes we all need a little TLC and one-on-one and I'm here for it. Here's what you want to do. Visit matchmarymate.com. Click work with me and book your individual call. I cannot wait to meet you in the Zoom room, honey.